Welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. We are in the Rejuvenate studio in Buford, Georgia. And in this episode, Bobby and I talk to Ed Shanafee, who oversees all tennis and club programming at Sipikin Tennis Club in Marion, Massachusetts, as director of tennis and assistant club manager. He runs a consultancy and management company for country clubs and boutique hotels called Beyond the Baselines. And Ed was kind enough to bring me on the Beyond the Baselines podcast where we talk about tennisforchildren.com. But today on this podcast, we talk about Ed's business and why he is back and forth from Massachusetts to Florida every other season. Have a listen and let us know what you think. Hey, Ed. Good morning, guys. How are you? Welcome. You operate mostly out of Florida and New England, so there's not a lot of business here in Atlanta, but we'd not ask yet. the questions to find out kind of what what uh, what would bring you here to Atlanta, if that makes sense, or even if you would want to, how that works, how we might, uh, how we might become friends and do business together. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, Atlanta is such a great t- city, t- you know, tennis city. It's... Um, it's it's known you know across the country as being one of the best. Actually, I, I, my podcast I interviewed um, two ladies, one of whom is uh, in Charlotte, and that also is a similar city. I think with those HOAs and so many courts on every corner, um, that it, you know, it, and down here in Florida, it's becoming like that. Um, I live in an HOA too, and we just redid our three courts, and they've never been busier. You know, people even post pandemic now they are staying and 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 hanging with tennis and golf. Obviously, I'm um, involved in the club business more than just tennis. So golf is up. Uh, tennis is up. Pickleball is uh, through the roof uh, across the nation. Um, and and, and I, I'm sure Atlanta is the same way. I want to stop in Atlanta on the way up. I'm, I'm driving up uh, second week of May. I might be knocking on your door and saying hello because I, I want to see, see it in person. Uh, I've only flown through that wonderful airport a few times. Never been to Atlanta. So. Uh, I might I might stop this time because I have a few new friends here, including you guys. Fantastic. That would be, that would be great because we can. Uh, yeah, let's let's find if you can leave a couple of days early. Yep. Actually show you around. One of the conversations we've had, I say multiple times, is how different the cultures are of different cities, different areas as to how tennis operates and, and how how Florida is completely different from New England and completely different from Atlanta and. You got so many new apps and, and tech ideas and everything coming out of California or somewhere else that have no idea what's going on in Atlanta. And it was fun on your podcast, on the Beyond the Baselines podcast, to be able to talk about that and say, okay, well, Atlanta's just different and hear some of the ways from our points of view as to how it's different um, and then how, how that affects the relationship with somebody coming out of Florida. We like to hire the other person coming in from another state some of our country clubs do that. We're like, oh, we're bringing somebody from Arizona. Like, <laughs> right, they right. They don't know what Alta is. So like, there's yeah. a there's such a, a unique learning curve here, and maybe maybe Nashville has its own unique learning curve, and maybe every place really does. But I don't know which places are similar and which places are unique. But from Atlanta, we obviously think we're uh, we're special. Well, you know, the the clubs are different too. You know, I, I specialize with clubs and boutique hotels, and 
each club has a different vibe and some clubs I call them like, I mean, in Atlanta, let's take Atlanta, for example, because that's where you guys are specials, specialists. Um, I would think those are basically year round clubs. You know, you've got the weather, you, you don't really have to go indoors, you know? Um, so you've got the weather year round. And I think those people who are in Atlanta tend to stay in Atlanta. Now I run clubs in Massachusetts where we see people from, eight weeks and you know as little as two weeks they'll come use the club every day for two weeks and then they're gone for the rest of the year it's a i call that a destination club like martha's vineyard nantucket those people come in for the length the longest they're really there for is 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 the eight weeks that the kids are out of school you know the moms will come up with the three three kids dad'll transfer travel back and forth from boston new york or chicago or, or something like that and come in on the weekends but then i've got a club in, in princeton new jersey which is tennis, squash, and paddle, and a little pickle. And um, the, it, it's different because that season is year-round. We've got an indoor tennis court. So it's a year-round situation there, two, two squash courts, and obviously squash is indoors. So it's a year-round club. But those people go on vacation to, like, they all go to Long Island. And they all, like, here's the difference here is April, May is our busiest months there. And then, like, June, the kids get out of school, and that club gets quiet again. So – you have to gear up earlier and you're mentally for me, I have to start ordering clothes like back in January because I got to have them on the rack by the end of March. Like they just going on the rack this week. Whereas with Massachusetts clubs, we can order in February or March and they don't go on the rack until June 15th. And I can, you know, even with instructors and I know there's a shortage labor shortage. Right. And this is the toughest I've ever seen it. So that like, if I'm doing, uh, you know, graduate students or, or foreigners, foreign students from, from college, they have to go get their CPTs and their OPTs to work for the summer. You know, with New Jersey, you got to start that process in December because they got to be teaching on the court April 1. I don't have to start that process going until March. So you've got a different timing element. Whereas Atlanta, I think you guys are really well positioned to be year round because it's a temperate zone. You think about Florida, a lot of people, you know, starting this week, I mean, I call it the light switch. Easter Monday, boom, it goes off. And we lose 65, 70% of our clientele the week after Easter. They all start going north. Go north. And yeah, the grandparents start, you know, hey, you got to go open up the, uh, the the house for the grandkids up there in Maine or wherever they're going. Um, so so Florida, too, is seasonal. Whereas I think Atlanta, you're not. You're, you're like year-round. It's kind of like Charlotte. I think that's why that inner, like Dallas, you know, you think of these huge clubs in Dallas. Um, like a friend of mine, Chris Gale, is at uh, River Oaks. Those huge jobs, you know, uh, a pro just from Chevy Chase Club went down to a huge job in, in Dallas. Those that band is year round. So it's a different it's a different feel for the clubs, different feel for the for the game of tennis, too. Well, and that's where I wanted to uh, I say sick Bobby on you because Bobby's got a bunch <laughs> of questions. I was telling him you know, what you do and, and as much as I can understand about how you operate. And Bobby's just firing at me, like question after question, like, how does that work? And what, you know, how is that, how we bring that to Atlanta? Does that even work in Atlanta? So I wanted to, I wanted to get you and Bobby together and have Bobby kind of fire at you and say, all right, how do we, how do we get that here? Does it help? And, uh, and where do we go from there? Like Bobby's, Bobby's a little more in tune with how the clubs operate here in Atlanta than I am. Cause I'm a, I'm a vendor to everybody. I've got my own niche, but he's, he's been at the level of being able to, to manage clubs and understand what that takes. Is it, and, and I know I'm, I'm going to ask the obvious question. Cause I know the answer. Is it really that different here, Bobby? <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Well, I, I think you nailed it. It's a, even though we have peaks and valleys, it is 
you make the majority of your money four months out of the year. The bad part is, even though it's four, you can't leave the other eight months because then you would lose so much of the four months. So it, it, it I think my biggest curiosity had is first, where you're located in Florida. I mean, I live in Vero Beach, Vero okay. Beach, Florida, um, so East Coast. Yeah. Grew up in New York State. So I, you know, grew up in New York State, moved to England for 20 years. OK, so <laughs> where in New York State? I grew up in a little corner of Westchester County. It, it really, people don't know about it. It's called South Salem. It's a little hamlet of the town of Lewisboro. It's basically dirt roads and horse horses. I mean, the, my next door neighbor was the, the, the Olympic horse, you know, equestrian gold medalist, Buddy Brown, and um, just all dirt roads. Not much out there except farms and horses. But it's this little neck of uh, Westchester County that, like, apparently was traded back in the days to Connecticut. Or Connecticut gave some property and New York State took this property. I don't know how it worked back in the colonial days, but very quiet little place. Grew up playing tennis at Wakaba Country Club. It's all, you know, Native American uh, uh, names up there. The reservations. Um, yeah. All, yeah. A bunch of re- word pound reservation. Yep. And, uh, you know, and the big reservations with the with the uh, gambling are up there now, you know, Mo- <laughs> uh, Mohican Sun and yeah. Foxwoods and all that. But um yeah, Wakabuck had six courts. It's still there with six courts, and and the director of tennis there has grown a great program. And he's one of my uh, associates with Beyond the Baselines. Wonderful guy, Harry Gilbert, mm-hmm. and he and he's he's really taught me a lot in the last six months as we've teamed up to run a couple clubs. And um, as 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 you say, I've got an experience in New York, in Florida, and then New Jersey. Um, and I'm trying to find some experiences in, in your, you know, your neck of the woods, because it is a year round thing. You guys are so good. You know, Sean, you're so good at the kids stuff, you know, and that is, again, you know, I see a kid, like if, if we're up in Marion mass, where one of my clubs is, if, if I see a kid up there, I'll see that kid for six, six weeks, max, you know, maybe eight weeks, max. Um, you guys have the, the, the beautiful thing of having that kid, you know, the whole school year. And, um, we have that in Princeton. Um, with the indoor courts and um, it's, it's a different, it's a different, you know, paradigm. It's great. It's great. I, 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 it's, it's tough to say goodbye to your kids after six or eight weeks. Cause you know that they may not improve over the winter and you just made all that, you know, advancement. Sure. Well, interesting. I guess the biggest curiosity initially I have right away is, and you've, you've alluded to them with it. So when they bring you in, you obviously do more than just, you manage the facility because I'm hearing that you're doing pro shop purchasing. You're going to, you're establishing the program. So give us a little feel for if we, if we're a seasonal club in New York, Massachusetts, what, what, what do they bring you in to do? Okay. So the different levels, obviously we can manage the whole club, which is what we, we basically do in Massachusetts and in Princeton, Um, Mm -hmm. Princeton, we have squash, paddle, pickle, tennis, right? We do all the uh, all the hiring um, of all the instructors, all the liability insurance, all the payroll. We do all that payroll. Um, mm-hmm. So all the instructors are on our company's payroll. Same in Massachusetts. We have 11 instructors up there all on on, on our payroll. Um, and then what we have is a back end. So imagine if um, in several clubs, a lot of clubs do this for several reasons. One is, you know, a, a governing board of a club, those governors don't always have time to run a business. A club is a business. And we have to remember that clubs members think of it as their haven, their getaway, their escape. It's a business. If it doesn't make money, it's, it's going to disappear. And I've seen, I've seen clubs almost at the brink of disappearing. 
actually I visited one in New Jersey a couple of weeks back. I won't say which one, but, you know, um, fortunately it's been taken out of, um, you know, from the bank, the loan's been taken back, but um, clubs can go out of business. So what we specialize is, is growing the revenue, making great programming through great mm-hmm. programming, you know, marketing the club as a wonderful place so that your wait list gets bigger. You know, that's the most important thing is that new, that the pathway to new members, if you don't have a great program, you're not going to get new members. People don't want to join a, a bad program. Um, and then also we look at, uh, we, we run all the shops, you know, the tennis shops. So I, I buy for four or five clubs now. So it's a nice central way of, Hey, you know, we've already got accounts with, you know, Lululemon, Sophie Bella, you know, uh, Dory Birch, um, all those lines, uh, with bags too, tote bags, you know, all those, all those accessories. So we can go and buy in volume and then put it across five or six other clubs. And that helps too. I mean, we're not a Sam's club, but we have a little bit of a better, uh, leverage with that kind of volume. So those kinds of things we do, we will come in and run the whole club. And then we also go into clubs that'll say, Hey, Ed, we need a new director. And so we could be the interim director for a little while while we run a search, um, you know, go, go out through our contacts, um, go out through our email databases, try to, you know, do a search. So an executive search for either a director of a department like tennis, squash, rack, really racket sports. We don't really get involved in food and beverage if we don't have to. I don't like that business that much. It's too quick to be too easy to turn a plate bag rather than, you know, pick up tennis balls. Absolutely. Um, but um, we've done that. And then we also consult. So, for example, we just finished with a club up in uh, near Boston in Worcester, Mass, where they did their own search. But we basically led them down the primrose path. We didn't conduct the search, but they paid us an hourly fee for helping them set up the search. We, you know, we did their offer letter for them. We did, um, you know, we did the job description. We tweaked it. Uh, things like that. We've done long-term strategic plans for clubs. A club will come to us and say, hey, Ed, we've, we want to put in a, a, a pickleball facility. Can you do a feasibility study on that? So we went, you know, looked at the zoning laws, looked at the cost of doing a, a two-bank court uh, situation facility, a four-bank court, four-court bank uh, facility with a social area because pickleball tends to be more social than tennis. We've done feasibility studies for that. We've done feasibility studies for um, indoor tennis courts, um, squash courts. So we're, you know, we specialize on the racket side of the club facility business. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have different tiers, different levels, and we're expanding our team too, which is kind of fun. Just hired a new business manager and she's from New York. And for example, something that came up that we were unaware of is in, in some States, uh, independent contractors have to have workers' compensation. I didn't know that. So, um, you know, something new there. So we found, and, and she went out and that was her job. That was her, uh, her task. And we found that, yeah, there's certain companies that will, you know, uh, provide workers' compensation policies for independent contractors working on your club property. So those are things that we do. Uh, we're just, you know, we can be anything from management consultant to Mr. Fix-It for clubs. So you say we, how many people are involved on the, on the management or corporate side of it? as opposed to obviously how many contractors you do grow to during the seasons? Well, I'll go through. We have, um, I mean, my wife and I started the business. She does most of the uh, public relations side of it and the marketing and the, the hoot suite, you know, those, those, those things that push out your social media. She does sure. a lot of that. 
And then we hired a woman who I used to run a, a big uh, ad agency in London. So I hired um, one of the, the, the great women I had working over there who now lives in the uh, in, in London, but is from Czech Republic. And she does all our social media, all our Canva designs, all our, you know, uh, social media, uh, you know, public uh, consumption for, mm-hmm. for advertising. And then I have uh, just hired a business manager, Lynn Darlington. She's looking at, um, you know, for example, this is the, the toughest part is that we operate in four or five states. So you have to have sure. different prof- different profit centers in each state, right? So she's looking at how we can, in QuickBooks, keep our invoicing uh, policies, but, but yeah, and then classify them by state, by club, by partner, um, and then look at those costs too. So, you know, for example, if we, if we do a, um, a, a, a bulk order of, of clothing for five clubs, she takes that bulk order and breaks it by club and by state so that we have the cost of goods per, 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 per facility, um, things like that. Um, so that's a big task as we grow. So Lynn Darlington, so we really have, and then Harry Gilbert is my, uh, is kind of my mentor in the business. He's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, the director of tennis of Walkabook, but in the winters, he works basically for us. He's, uh, he's helped out a lot on a couple of big projects. Um, he's a former president of USPTA national, uh, he's coached at the top, top level and has put together for some great programs. So he, he and I go way back and he came on board, which is fantastic. So he's, he's, uh, one of our main, uh, associates. And then we have uh, an HR specialist, Renee McCarthy, who I met through uh, another country club. So she is, uh, you know, talked to every week, basically, if we have an HR question, like workers comp for independent contractors. Um, and then who else do we have on the team? Um, we have Yika Gavdanova, who is uh, a wonderful instructor who goes and, and will help out when needed at a club, mm-hmm. like we'll just slot her in. Um, and so, yeah, we have a, a bunch of people. We have a, a nice team and um, uh, we have a couple, a couple other people who work as inter, in, interim GMs or interim, how can I say it, desk managers, front desk. Right. Carrie Warwick Young, who went up to Princeton and ran that club for three months, um, you know, just got up from Vero. She, she's in our Vero office here. Um, so, yeah, we have a great team. And on the contractor side, obviously, that's that's constant. You know, it's a constant right. change. We're trying to find instructors for different, different locales and different sports. You know, I'm right now I'm looking for a, a director of squash. Um, so if anyone out there is uh, thinking they want to become a director of squash, please call me. Um, but yeah, those are the things that, uh, those, that's the real, the, 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 the wheel that just keeps moving. And you, it's great to have a long-term head pro or lead pro, but that's not always the case. It's, you know, people move, families move, businesses change. Do you, I mean, how many facilities do you run during the summer? Right now we'll, we'll, we'll be running two full, you know, managing two facilities over the summer. Okay. And in the winter, we, um, we do a major uh, management consultancy for a club here in Bureau Beach at the Boulevard. We help them out. We did all their HR, their hand, their employee and contractor handbooks, their compensation, workers comp, um, you know, vacation policies, a liability. So we're not managing that one, but we're kind of like their back end. Um, and then what we've done uh, at a couple of other clubs is basically gone in and helped basically at the beginning of the season uh, with their program, with their calendar. Like, mm-hmm. Hey guys, you know, what can you add here? And what can, you know, how do you, I think the most, one of the most important things, and this comes back to the question of Atlanta and year round is how do you, you know, build a calendar so that people don't get burnt out 
You know, I think it's really important for a destination club where you have just 10 weeks. You got to, you know, you got to give them some breathing space. You can't have like cardio on Thursday, Friday and Saturday and then do a, a massive cardio party on Sunday. They're going to be burnt out by Sunday. So you got to and, and then the year round clubs. How do you keep the momentum going? You know, because I remember when I worked year round, I, I, I got bored. I mean, you know, people ask me how I do the seasonal thing. I'm like, I'm always seeing new people. I love meeting new people. Yes. Um, it's hard, it's hard to be year round. You, you're teaching tennis to the same person every week. I mean, Sean, you do it with the kids. I, and I asked you on my podcast, how do you keep it interesting? I, I applaud you guys because you do. And I find that difficult. That's hard. I find it much easier to go say, hey, I can change that swing in two weeks and then you'll never see me again. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll jump in with a shameless plug. It's one of the reasons I wrote my book, How Not to Play Tennis which just is out on uh, ebook as of today. Is it? Oh, um, congratulations. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. But it's one of the reasons I wrote the book. And what I would tell people is I say, tell the, the, the people taking tennis lessons on a weekly basis, I'm saying the same thing over and over again, and you still aren't listening. Or you don't get it, or you can't get it. Like, there's plenty of reasons why it doesn't work. But I wrote it down. Here you go. I wrote it down. Figure it out. So the, the weekly tennis lesson that we give, it, you don't have to keep it interesting. They're going to come back having forgotten what you told them last week. And with the kids, especially the same thing. It's so much repetition, especially at the beginner level. I mean, even if you get in the, the intermediate and the elite levels, you got the kids specifically that they need that stroke production. They need those reminders. They're, they're building that in. And to be able to do that once a week as opposed to five days a week for eight weeks straight, I think of that and I go, oh my gosh, how do you not, how do you, is that not just the most repetitive thing you've done every day for two months? That's just what you do. And then you never do it again. So it's fun to have you ask, how do you do this year round when for us, that's just how it's supposed to be. Right, Bobby? Well, but I, I completely agree with the idea, and it brings up a lot of different unique challenges and a lot of challenges that a lot of the, the guys in the business, either they get out way too soon or, you know, because it's just they see the money on the table, work way too much, burn out, and you just can't get that life that those hours back. So it is a challenge down here. You have to be realistic the way your approach is. You, you have to have get to the point where you have other people working with you so people do hear other voices. You have to say taking, unless you're looking for me to be a ball machine, and, and down here, a lot of the pros are just that. We're, we're glorified ball machines because they, the players can't hit amongst themselves or don't hit amongst themselves, so they'll go out and want to hit. So part of that is we've diminished our capacity as the wow factor because we go out and we hit with them a lot because that's what the the market requires more than anything else like you we do the majority of our work two seasons spring and, and fall fall is our busiest season of the year and then the rest of the year you try to maintain what we do what i've emphasized since i've been in the so we're interchangeable is make it fun when you walk up to buy clubs there's you know during a drill there's music playing it's loud, you know, yes, we're, we're going to set the tone. There's a, a technical aspect, usually very little. If you ask a question, we'll address it, but it's more competitive and with just, you know, with some tactical thrown in because you know what you get. You, you use that as your marketing. When people come to you for a private lesson, this is a great part about having 80,000 pl players in this league, you know, in Alta. That, is that's that, unbelievable. That if you get 5%, who become fanatics 
that's still a great number. Where most cities would be happy to have 5,000 tennis players, we have 5,000 fanatics. Now, you look at the professional tour level, the, the, the tournaments always come here thinking this is going to be great, and they walk out saying what happened because they don't factor in that they're, comp they're competing with more than just tennis. Tennis is the similarity and, and kind of what we're trying to learn and what we're doing outside of our on-court activities is trying to figure out the role tennis plays within this culture and how to expand and offer more things to people like getaways, like, the, you know, go to different, I'm with you I, down here. Most of the people go to Sandestin or Hilton head. If you drew your circle, you're six hours away from Hilton head. You're six hours away from those, Sandestin. Those are your destination clubs and you those guys are our are destination. The, yeah, absolutely. I, I think Disney could have done something with their tennis facility because besides me, you know, you can see in the background being a used Disney fanatic, most of, you know, the young parents, and that is our demographic. And that it, our demographic really ideally is the 35 year old mom uh, who has kids who gets into the understand culturally, as you said about the HOA, literally subdivisions are built in Atlanta necessitating at least two lighted tennis courts that have access to a bathroom because that allows you to become certified to play Alta. So developers, developers know this. So okay. you, you go into a new subdivision, that's what you're going to see. And it's funny because in the, in the span, and, you know, the city keeps going further and further North because you do eventually run out of land. I was at a club. We started, it was called white columns in the late 1990s. When we got there, we, you know, our first round Robin was done at night. I sent somebody out to get ice two hours later, they came back pale white saying there's nothing here. You know, they got lost. And now if you go there, you're like, wow, this is 20 years ago. And you don't, that's not an issue anymore. So, you know, the, the, the civilization is moving increasingly North, which is expanding the reach of tennis. But then you have instances where how far will people drive? I mean, you, you we go literally out to, when you say Atlanta goes Peachtree city, which is where the, it's close to the airport. So a lot of your pilots have created this, the golf cart city. It was the first real golf cart city in Atlanta. That is literally probably 60 miles from where I live in the Northern suburbs. So you don't want coming playing Peachtree city because you're not going to make people happy. It's the right. drive time is, is just too much. So there's, there's various challenges. And again, I, you look at the pros, I think here, their shelf life, if you, if you get direct, directors that are here for 10 years, it's a long time. Because, as you said, that you, you look at it and say, I need to make money. But directors here work too much on court. Therefore, their voice is heard too much. So their, their shelf life becomes shorter. And they, they don't see it until it's too late. And, you know, then the, the process starts all over again, where I've always been very cognizant. Get me a couple other voices. I might make a little less in the short term but I'm going to create enough programming and raise my levels of ancillary income levels on other things. Now, one thing that you said that scares the life out of me, you take upon the pro shop yourself. The club doesn't financially assist you are responsible for all those decisions. Hold on one second. Cause the year's an insurance guy at my front door. He's checking the house. So two gotcha. seconds, I'll be right back. No Keep worries. talking, but I'm going to come back and answer that question. <laughs> Very good. I look forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, it'd oh, yeah. be interesting to hear his hear his conversation about the the pro shop because that's 
you're either in Atlanta, you're either involved in it and you own it. So that was one of the conversations I had as director at, um, where was that club in Duluth, the Berkeley Hills Country Club. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was running that club, albeit briefly, it was, okay, you slowly build your own pro shop. Right. And you hang some things on the walls. But I noticed that Windermere doesn't have a pro shop where you can oh, walk hell in no. and do some shopping because <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Schindler wants nothing to do with that. No, no, uh, but no, I know, no. But I know some guys, especially the golf guys, if they've owned a pro shop for 20 years, they never have to teach a golf lesson. They're just – Nike sells itself, you know, that, that once you get into that, but they've built up that one pro shop. I can't imagine Ed, And I'd love to hear how you handle this to be able to have to build up a pro shop in March and then tear it down in August and it's, make it's, money. It's a lot of work. It's That's a lot crazy. of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And, and, um, what I found in the last couple of years is, you know, there's a lot of theories. Do you do sales at the end, get rid of your inventory? I find that, as I said earlier, having a couple clubs, if you don't logo everything, you can, uh, you know, move them around. So if it didn't sell in one club, you can move it to another and it doesn't become dead stock. Once you logo it, you're stuck, you know, with the club, you're not going to be able to sell a logo to another club. But so I've been taking it carefully with logos. So if something goes well, you know, if a line goes well at one club, then I'll go and logo it for the next year. Right, because the the lines t- tend to have the same design, and and you and as you said so wisely, uh, Bobby, is that you know your your key buyer is thirty five to forty five year old women, right? Yeah. They they they're the ones who really look at the fashions, a for themselves and b for their kids. They yes, look a lot absolutely. for their kids. Yes. So we sell a lot of children's clothes. Um. So yes. Yeah, so I set up. You know what? I also found in the last few years of doing shop of, of doing the tennis shop is to have a tennis concierge. It makes a huge difference. I'm on the court, you know, I might be on the court. I might be uh, with a member. There's always a question. Hey, do you have this in large? Do you have this in small? Can you order it for me? Can you get it? How do I get that? How do I get a case with shoe tomorrow night? Those things, if you have someone in place that I know that person costs you money, but boy, that in terms of member services and they come back, they, they want more out of your shop. You know, if, if I have like a vineyard vines, um, I mean, we do Vineyard Vines tote bags and we sure. do Vineyard Vines. I don't have it on today. I have an Ocean Reef shirt on today. Vineyard, Vineyard Vines, right? But um, I have Vineyard Vines for my club up in Marion. And they do a separate design just for us. Last year, it was called Summer of Soul Shine because we're coming out of COVID, we, we thought. And we did basically have a great mm-hmm. summer. We call it Summer of Soul Shine. I had the, had the whale in our club and it said, you know, summer 2021 down the side. It's beautiful. I love those kinds of things. They bring in a club. So you can say that's a lost leader because people get very cohesive and they love being a member of something. And if they can show sure. that club off through clothing and that's where the logo becomes important, they'll yes. buy it. Right. But on the, on the shop side, I'll be honest this year in terms of um, sports rackets, it's really hard. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not telling any, I think Wilson just wrote, wrote a letter to most of the people saying they're not going to be able to supply tennis balls. This tennis balls. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I haven't seen a performance racket from Wilson. I, I have a, I'm a Wilson guy i play with wilson but i can't get a blade it's impossible um, i'll send you one okay thanks uh, <laughs> i'll send you one we'll get yeah, you one no, all right um but yeah it's i good. mean sometimes it's who you know in that case right yeah it is and but I you're thought, right i mean it's a it's a relationship that we cultivate and protect extraordinarily for that reason same thing down here and i, I don't want to get off of you i mean literally these guys down here are usually allocated about 100 cases a quarter and our guy is telling us he has 100 cases for the year Right. And so if you're planning, you better have that 
in mind. We went to buy more and the lady who purchases wanted to change credit cards. And the guy was like, don't do that because it's going to take longer to get you approved. You might lose your order. And we're like, holy cow. So it is yeah. crazy. But and cash I, flow is, you know, cash flow. And, and, and Sean, you're right. I, I go to bed some nights nervous thinking of, oh, God, I got that. Well, well I, I changed my ball supplier. So my tennis balls this year coming from uh, head pen, which mm-hmm. is new because I kind of saw the writing on the wall with Wilson. We talked about mm-hmm. that in January. Yeah. Yep, yep. And I ordered uh, the tennis balls back in January when we were talking, Sean, in, uh, on the on the Institute of Directors luncheons. So we did that. But, you know, I've also ordered them to be delivered early. So it's hurting my cash flow because the balls are already in place. The club's courts aren't even open. And in 30 days, I got to pay for the tennis balls. Um, and I ordered basically for the whole summer. We go through, I don't know, 180 cases in the summer. And I just, I, I, I didn't want to be, uh, you know, I understand. left out in the cold. At, at and, that point, it's, you better, it, it's one of our rules. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Yep. And in I'm that case, and, and Bobby, Bobby was talking the same thing. I went to him. I'm like, any chance you were ordering extra tennis balls that I can get in on that? And Bobby just kind of shaking his head. Like everybody's asking the same <laughs> questions. Like yeah. we, we, we're just all just trying to figure out where to get tennis balls. That isn't just retail with a maximum of one per customer. And also the other problem we were having this year, we're experiencing, and I'm sure Atlanta, you guys have HOAs that do embroidery, but the embroidery uh, time is, is out of control. So, I just talked to a director who's opening up his club this week in New Canaan, Connecticut. He's a great friend of mine. Um, and he just told me he's taking, he's getting everything delivered non-embroidered and he's going to take it to a local embroidery shop and just cross his fingers and hope they do a decent job. Cause you know, in our, in our business, most of the embroiderers are like, it's like 10 companies and we all, we all trust them. We know them. And if you go to a new supplier, you're like, uh, cause those, the clothing, you know, it's 25, $35 a piece wholesale. Yeah, wholesale. If the embroider messes it up, you, you're stuck, you know, with a, you know, a, a piece of, you know, clothing, you got to put out at 50% off. And that's, that's us, why yeah. we're amazed, amazed with you of, of taking yeah. on that pro shop. But I guess if you've got multiple pro shops, like you were saying, if it isn't all in, if it isn't all logoed, Right. They can, ah, this didn't fly here. All right, let's try it over here. You've, you've got kind of a rotating pro shop that you can move in and out. And you're also buying in bulk at a point of saving a little bit here, little a couple bit. of points here and there. But still, I mean, Bobby and I shake our heads. Like, unless we had the one place that I know I can be director of tennis for a contract of five to 10 years and I can settle in because that's a long, in, in the Atlanta area, it's rare that we have, the tennis director that owns the pro shop. It, it's very uncommon here as far as I know. Um, and in that case, you need to be there a while. That isn't a thing that you come in seasonally and make a bunch of money because that takes some time as an initial investment to really recoup that a couple of years of putting in to build up a pro shop and you doing it seasonally that our eyes get wide and we just think about how terrifying, like you said, you struggle to sleep at night every once in a while. Bobby, or, Bobby and I are thinking we want no part of that. I have a couple of benchmarks that I think about when I do the shop. One is, you know, obviously outgoings at the front end, right? So you, 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 have, you we try to get the pro shop revenue about a third of the programming revenue. That's kind of a benchmark we look for. So if someone's thinking of opening up a shop, if you do a hundred thousand dollars worth of encore programming, bank on 30, 30,000 in your shop. All right. So, so buy according to that, that's kind of where we're at. That's what we think. The, the other thing I'm finding aside from the supply 
uh, chain is what we're trying to do. It sounds crazy, but is one delivery. You know, if you're going to six different clubs for deliveries, it, it, like say I do one order for six clubs and it goes, to, I'm trying to, what I try to do is do one delivery early. And then when I go to that club, take that delivery with me personally. Mm-hmm. Sounds crazy, but it's the delivery costs are with gas prices. They're exorbitant. So we're trying to get that to one central warehouse delivery and then free delivery from there with staff or however we do it. Listen, Tennis Warehouse agrees with you. They've literally moved there. We have a tennis warehouse in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, they're based out of California, but they moved here for the very reason it was cheaper for them to move, build an enormous structure to have a, a, a mirror of what they have in California here in Atlanta for shipping costs and to right. ship to Europe and to be able to distribute on the East Coast because it was just cheaper. So it's, yeah. it is. The funny part is what you're saying, and this is where Atlanta is so different. The majority we have. Besides Tennis Warehouse and the other online guys, there is one dominant pro shop, and it, because of Atlanta's prominence with tennis, has been able to survive, and that's your serve. So the irony is the big clubs that Sean spoke of, they're usually the ones, either your serve will be the de facto owner behind the scenes, which keeps them to be able to rotate inventory, or if the club actually takes on the pro shop, I was at White Combs Country Club, which was predominantly golf, but you could go up and use the pro shop and the, you know, the, the get some tennis clothes if you needed it. Everything we sold was logoed because that's the majority of our inventory was sold to the Monday people who did outings. So even though we had a club every, in the irony, everybody come, would come in two weeks before Christmas to get the discounted family gift you know to the uncle that they haven't seen but oh i'll give them something new from white columns this year so it is atlanta is so different because of the dynamics that we're involved with with all year round with so much competition with most places even your embroider there's so many mom and pop little people that get involved because they play tennis say oh i can do this there's a need i i people like embroider i use somebody that you know my partner gives lessons to has her own little cottage. It's not, she, this isn't good, the family income, but if she can make another ten to $15,000 a year, it moves the household. You know, everybody lives a little bit better. So those are the things. And, and again, going back to, so I guess my next question for you is along the same lines where I think we are going to be a little different. How do you staff? Where, where do you go to look for staff? And how do you staff? You're talking the teachers, instructors that, yeah, yes. that's, okay, that's okay, so. everybody's big question because Bobby yeah. has the same thing. It's one of the reasons Bobby and I do business together is because I handle one of his staffing questions and he right. doesn't have to worry about it. I handle the, the junior 10 and under beginners and I can be his part-time staff. And in my business, it works in his, he doesn't have to bring on somebody full. So all those questions of, okay, how do I scale when every single one of my pieces is part-time? And it seems like you get to you get to do that every year where we try to never do that. <laughs> it's just so difficult <laughs> here. So we're very curious about that. Yeah. So I, it's, a, it's a mix. And I will start this out on the tennis side that I'm finding that and I don't mean disrespect to anybody, but the USBTA and the PTR sites aren't being as um, responsive as we as we used to know them. And I know they've been taken over by two search firms, one search firms, PTR and one search firm. And I think more of that, many of the, uh, us pros looking for jobs are seeing that as a collective data collection 
exercise rather than really promoting jobs. So I, I'm finding that I'm getting really good results on uh, LinkedIn and Indeed. Um, I know my uh, colleague down at Ocean Reef who just retired, congrats, Jim Morton, but he, he put his job jobs up on uh, Indeed only, and um, he was getting good results. So, you know, I, I, we're, all, the biggest thing for me is word of mouth, you know, getting sure. out there every day, talking to the directors that you know in the industry. Hey, do you know anybody looking for a job? Do you know anybody that's good? Um, and that's how, you know, I, I got into the seasonal gig. Um, I didn't even apply for a job. The Edgar Town Yacht Club, the, the gentleman up there, Paul Pertilli, is great. One of my mentors called me. Called, at the, I didn't know who he was. And he, um, he said, Ed, you got the job. I said, what job? He said, I talked to two people. They both recommended you. You got it. I'm like, where? And I, I went. I was like, this is a great gig. So I took it. But um, I think word of mouth is a big one. Um, uh, Justin Campbell, I'm going to give him a shout out. He's a director up in New Jersey in Princeton at a club called Breedensbrook. And he did a fantastic thing. He went on Facebook. And this is another idea. And he put out like, hey, we're having trouble. He put it, I think, in the Facebook tennis coaches and news page. We're having trouble finding people. And um and I said, real, I said, this is a great idea. He got like 34 applications, just people looking for work for the summer. And I've taken three of those. You know, I, you find out different, um, you know, you get their names and then you go do a little digging. You find out that they know somebody that you know. So you call that person up and say, hey, did this person work well for you? Yeah, they work great. Great. Got it. Yeah. And so I think word of mouth. Um, but I'm sticking, uh, staying away from the job industry boards, job boards from the industry, because I just don't think they're as responsive. People are hacking into them, as you know, like that pro tennis jobs, you know, the minutes up on USPT, it's out on pro tennis jobs. So everybody knows those jobs now. And um, I think they're getting watered down. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a process. Um, never burn a bridge. That's the other thing i'm gonna say common sense isn't so common but never burn a bridge is a commonsensical type of thing you never know when that bridge is going to help you find a staff member always leave a former job on good terms because they'll have somebody at that club or at that facility that is going to move or can't stay and is going to be looking for a job and you get the call yeah but you know um i can't help you that's kind of the question that we would say all right how do we so if we pull all this together and say, okay, so how does how does Beyond the Baselines help Atlanta and how does Atlanta help you? So in this case, we all get together and say, okay, I fit here. This is my piece. Bobby's doing this. This is, this is his world. And from your point of view, Ed, in Atlanta, I don't know if there's a lot of interim GM or boutique hotel opportunities here. That's not a market research I've done. Um, cause it's just not my world, but in Atlanta, everything, like you said, it's full time, not a lot of part time back and forth. It's one of the reasons my niche works out well being part time to help you with, you know, help Bobby with his club. Um, but in your case coming in, do the, is there a, an Atlanta market? Who do you target beyond, beyond just going to monster.com and indeed. And I just go on the USPTA site and look for myself. I'm a 20 year USPTA member and I don't, I don't come up. So obviously their site needs some work. So we need to talk to USPTA. <laughs> That's not helpful. If I can't find myself and I'm, I've paid my dues. Like, this is sad. There's no Sean Boyce in the country. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm here because I'm me, but enough of my complaining of USTA, but to find those part-time people or those seasonal people, I'm wondering how much we can get together 
and help each other. Well, I think the HOAs is where you start because that's where, as you guys know, is really where the Atlanta league season really is, I think. And and you start with those HOAs and you go in there. I know um, play by court, you know, the guys that do the court reservation systems, they do a lot of HOAs in Florida and they're, they're kind of bonding together these HOAs to work with each other. Maybe that's something we could look at doing is, is, is consulting for the HOAs and making the, the overarching umbrella of HOA tennis better. Um, what we are trying to avoid, Sean, and what you, you articulated so well on my podcast is you want to avoid the guy with the, the, the basket of balls in his car trunk that doesn't know how to teach tennis. And so if you can, right, you said that. Bob, Bobby I'm, and I I'm have our different you. opinions on that. I'm like, <laughs> I want that guy on the list. We need to be able to find him. And Bobby's like, no, that drives no. down prices. <laughs> but you want to avoid, um, what you want to do is say, hey, we can bring in however we do it. And you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way. Bring in best in class teaching and programming. That's it. Best in class at HOA level, at club level, at boutique hotel level. But you've got to you've got to build it from scratch. So you're gonna have to start with uh, you know one HOA. Get out there. I mean, I'd love to get one HOA in Atlanta. Manage it. Make it the spot to be with great instructors, great programming, great music, good food. I think ice. you over. I think you over. Uh, oh, what? what's the word? Ice not around the corner, but at at the facility. Well, <laughs> well, I Those think when, when you say HOA, what I think of is my neighborhood, which is not even going to hire. There's no hiring there. There's nobody coming in to run the club. But don't you have um, bigger HOAs like with, I mean, I know you do like with 10, yeah, 12, and, 14 courts. Well, but the funny part, what you said, and a light bulb just went off for me for what you said, because we have a bunch of, and I had one of them and, and just probably still have it according to LinkedIn, but I, I don't really pursue that very much is the tennis. There are tennis management companies, right? Listening to what you do is so far beyond what we're expected to do. My thought for what you would do is call the existing, not the H of the facility themselves, like Windermere, which is where I'm at. It's a 10 court, really 12 court, six pickleball court facility managed by a management company. However, they had, you know, and they don't even pay me, but I work with them. Obviously I'm an independent contractor. I think that is who you should speak to. Uh, that right. to me is the interesting play, not the individual subdivision, go to the actual higher level, especially with what you offer and the expertise you have, which most of the, I mean, we always laugh jokingly that, that, you know, I'm a little bit more intelligent than some of the other guys in the business. So therefore I get a little longer look, but ultimately I'm still short of being able to, there's only so many hours in a week right. where you have a staff and a, a knowledge already that I think could go in and speak to my management, the, the people that manage Windermere and say, Hey, look, you have this many facilities, especially what you're talking about because this particular management company does a lot with senior facilities, which they're building two facilities within the circle of Metro Atlanta that are going to have more than 40 pickleball courts on property. Well, Bobby, let's go at them together. Cause uh, th that's the way I think you're, you've, you've got it right there. Um, yeah. and, and I did that in South Florida. I ended up working with a, um, a management of HOA, you know, property managers, you know, right. C, whatever they're called, uh, CCMs or whatever, but, but property management companies and they go and they, they, they manage like 30 companies, Yes, but they don't know what they're doing with racket sports. That's right. And um, there is a niche there that we can find. So uh, let's get on them. 
Yeah, I'm I, always I'm always up for doing something new. Yeah, I mean, I think happens. like you said, I think that's an interesting pitch to to make because, as you said, and I saw your certification that the country club management certification is is as I told Sean, I said no, he's not. He's more than a tennis because you need that to manage white columns. It's and as Sean said, you know that's why tennis guys don't get it. There'll be a master tennis professional, or you know, I always have a, a master's degree in sports marketing, and I'd have to remind my people that you know this but my stuff was mostly you know tour management sponsorship sales so my skill set isn't necessarily that because in atlanta more than anything the, the the director at that is a politician he shakes a lot of hands he solves a lot of problems internally because leagues are taken care of not only do we have alta we have usta trying you know filling the gap then we have an independently called t2 which is the largest flexible play league in the country. And really he's only been able to establish himself in two other cities on a minor level, but he's a multimillionaire because of Atlanta, what he was able to accomplish in Atlanta, taking, excuse me, taking the idea of I'm starting with 80. So if I ever get 10%, I'm rolling and, you know, forget about what he's actually accomplished. So, and, and to me, the only real successful tennis business that I've seen through all the years. Well, let me ask you a question about the HOA. So, like, sure. if we did this, I'm just like, here's a question for you. You've got all those leagues out there, right? Yes. Do the HOA residents ever complain that it's always league play? I mean, that they can't get on a court? Because that's what I found when I ran an HOA down in Florida, that a lot of the residents were like, hey, what's this with these ladies' teams? I can't get on a court between 10 and 12. Come on. And, and you ever most have, people you ever here have on fighting over 10 to 12. Well, not uh, Especially on a Thursday. We, we just know you're not okay. getting a court. And Bobby has to really? tell members all the time, don't call me for a court between 9 and 11 a.m. on a Thursday. Just don't. Well, and I, but I think that also goes, it speaks to the volume of the culture, how it's already established here. There, listen, you can go to any club in Atlanta, and I promise you, it'll be dead from 1230 to 430. Absolutely. Oh, and, and around the clock, around the country, that's the case, isn't it? And, unfortunately. Yes. And, and I get it, especially, especially here during the summer. But you know when the people are going to play and and there's so much and this is why i think what, what excites me about pickleball atlanta tennis is an amenity it's not you know you you've said it early on that you run it like a business well in atlanta you really don't have to there's just so, it's so much free it's so free that it's it's tough it's tough to monetize it's why you get all these mom and pop industries that pop up and say we're going to fill that void and then they get into it and say but it's not scalable even you know i've worked with so many i don't even remember the one you said we have reserved my court in atlanta which is a local guy that he he established a lower paying niche so he has about five to six hundred team which sounds great on paper but when you're paying 25 dollars a court and he caps it off at six courts for the year you sit there and go, you know, his gross revenue for the year is $90,000 and him growing actually hurts him because he's got to p get a bigger server. So he's eating into his <laughs> profits. So how do I scale? Well, then I, you know, we met courts, K-O-U-R-T-S.com. Yeah. And, you know, he's had some money and you're like, okay, you know, this first guy who's funded that didn't last. Uh, we have, who's this? We spoke to in North Carolina, Sean. Court reserve. Court, court reserve. reserve. Very similar to courts. Did you guys ever speak to each other and say, you know, we're probably better together than we are everybody scrambling for this carcass. And I, I don't know if the, the folks you mentioned, because there's another couple of guys that are out of Georgia tech that started something again, very similar. And they have a hundred 
facilities around and they're, you know, that's good enough because it's not their full-time job, but it eats into their full-time job. (laughs) And it eats into the company that could make a difference in tennis, but everybody's fighting for this carcass, you know, and that's, that's a new project that we're working on. And we want to make sure you're a part of it, Ed, as well as we've, we've got a new project coming out. That's going to try to create some cohesion that is going to create cohesion in Atlanta where the other cities all, okay. They, this company does this, this company does that. That's the end of the conversation here. Everybody's got their little tiny piece of the pie and it's really difficult to get everybody on the same page. Hey, let's all be friends here. This isn't a zero sum game and let's get it together and help each other do things. And I think that's where the, the connectivity is going to come in and say, okay, well you do this. I don't have to fight you for your piece. I'm going to do this part. You do that part. Or let's get everybody together and figure out the best way to do these things. Well, Sean, you had gotten up for a second. I said, you had gotten up and Ed said the magic word while you were up. And I laughed. Ed didn't know why. He said, oh, I kind of act as a tennis concierge. (laughs) Concierge service. Exactly. Well, that's That's, what we're trying to do. (laughs) I mean, that's a that's a great idea because that's where, you know, you can have tennis is going to be tennis, right? It's how you serve your customers that gets them back yes. right it, you can be a great teacher there are great teachers everywhere but there aren't great tennis concierges everywhere yes. and that's the difference and you said it earlier bobby you said you know you can have a i call them a court guy or a court gal yes like they're great in the cage um but they're not great behind the front desk administrating and and, and as you said being a politician yes it, it, it's important that's the important part of the job that so many and and somebody i forget who it was uh, Andy, Andy Zoden said to me, he said, Ed, you know, you, a great player is always about him or herself. And it's really hard for that great player to become a concierge because Absolutely. they're not used to providing service. They get the service. Tennis is inherently an individual sport sport. And, and it does, you're right. And, and, and it's funny because and this is the, and it goes back to, we won't speak poorly of our governing organizations and such, unless we want to is the funny to us the failing comes from the top is that the the manage the mission statement the the message that is being given doesn't support that it's what gets hired in atlanta oh i was we'd laugh oh you know you see the pros when it used to be they would post in their neighborhood for you know i was number one in georgia and we'd look at it, how many number ones could have played in georgia at this <laughs> and everybody talks about their playing ability and Guys, Nick Bolateri didn't play. Bill Bolacek played lacrosse. That's the problem with tennis. We get so single-minded in purpose that, oh, I want a great player. Yes, it, it has a role. You got to look the part. But most people are never going to hit with a top 100 person. Therefore, to be the greatest tennis player ever doesn't work. And it also hurts the whole business that we've created this narrative that you can only get better by playing with better players. Well, how does Novak get better? How does Rafa get better? How does Roger get better if they, there's only three people they can hit with and they live in different countries? That's a problem. And these are all things that I, are systemic to our industry. And I think it, it stems from the top. Unfortunately, the inability to focus and say, this is what our message is. This is what our mission statement is. And I, it, it, it's created a very, dis, you know, all over the place industry. You gave me a great plug, so I'll, I'll, I have to leave it sometime soon. But you gave me a great plug, and I love chatting with you guys. We could do this every day. 
uh, is that that's why I found it beyond the baselines is mm-hmm. I would go to job interviews when I, when I gave up the advertising business in Europe and moved home, I started interviewing for tennis positions, right? D- directors of tennis head pro positions. And I'd meet with the executive committee or the search committee and they wanted to know my playing background. And I turned to them very openly and I said, why does that matter? Yeah. I said, I can play with anybody. I can yeah. hit with a five Oh, I can play with an ATP tour. He'll make me look good or she'll yeah. make me look good. But um, that doesn't matter. Right. I, I turned to the people. And I said, let me show you how good I am at spreadsheets. Well, what do you need spreadsheets for? I was like, how are you going to budget the clothing lines? How are you going to budget the, the, the ball purchases? Running how are you going to budget your, how are you going to budget <laughs> yeah. the liability? I can't policies? do that with my forehand. Yeah. And yeah. And I can't do it when I'm on the court that much. I'm going to hire people to teach tennis because yes. they're better at it than I am. And, yes. the, and that's why I founded the company because I was like, this is crazy. They're looking at playing levels and they need to be looking at business acumen. Yes. I like that. And, that- you, and you, and you figured that out and that's good. And I think, uh, Ed just said, you know, we gotta, we gotta shut it down soon as we're coming to the end. And I'm sure we could talk for hours. I, I have that one question that we have that one question that we like to ask everybody that we sent you ahead of time. And we say, okay, so if you were with your experience, with your view, your specific point of view, just as you, if you were king of tennis, is there one thing or is there something you would change? Is there something you would do as king of tennis and you could just magically make something happen? Is there something that you would share with us that you would change or adapt or install in our current, uh, in our current version yeah, you of sent me this and I, tennis? And, and I thought of it and it's come to me. It's like, as we've talked, but you use the word cohesion. And if tennis was cohesive as an industry, and I think it starts way back. If I were king of tennis, I would make it so that juniors wouldn't cheat. If they cheated, because that's where we start with the bad cohesiveness is junior tennis. And I watch it firsthand with my daughter who's 13 and is looking at her UTR every day. But I go to those tournaments and it is so uncohesive, if that's a word. The parents are all rooting against the other kids or rooting against the parents. I, I, I hand my hand up. I got yelled at by you know clapping a double fault. If we could all become cohesive, we'd have a much better industry and we'd have a much better standard of, of practice in that industry. And believe it or not, I think we'd have much better players going out on the world tour. But it starts with the juniors. If I were king, and I love what you do, Sean, with those kids. If I were king for a day, I'd make uh, King Richard, <laughs> I'd make my kids, all of them, including my own, the greatest etiquette on the court. And that would bring in a cohesive feel to the sport as they got older. We don't have that and I miss it. I think other sports do have it and tennis doesn't, unfortunately. And I think it hurts us as we move forward. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote you and I'll, I'll give you credit of course, but that you just gave me my next article is there writing writing about that for the parents to say, you know what, this is what we teach at Tennis for Children and we teach them to not cheat is a strange way to say it, but we not teach cheat. them the etiquette of this is how it works at this age and here's why we do it and here's why it matters it goes in with one of my other rules with my wife and i have all these rules one of the other ones rule number seven is only speak truth and cheating tears at the fabric of what tennis really is and it means winning is more important than doing the right thing and that'd be an that that is what we install at that level so we will uh, i'll get together with you Offline, give you, we'll, I can we'll give you. I together. can give you a headline, Sean. I'll give you a headline. What you got? It used. To, it used to be called the gentleman sport. 
Now it should be called the gentle person sport. Oh, there you go. Thank, thank, thank in you. Our, uh, in our era, and it used to be a gentleman's yeah. sport. Now it's got to be cohesive with everybody, and it's got to be the gentle person sport. All right. Working title. There we go. And you're right. I mean, that, that was such a great part of tennis was the idea of tennis etiquette. And as you said, it, it you don't realize the ramifications. We work with a, a, one of the local high school teams, and it amazes me. First of all, nobody talks about tennis etiquette anymore. I mean, that was part of the game. The little nuances associated, not just not cheating. You know, now it's the old, if it's close, you call it out. Where when I was growing up, if you are remotely not sure, it is good. There, You never call something out unless you're absolutely positive. And then you watch these kids, they can't even warm up together because they're so trained to win. And I'm like, guys, we're trying to get 100 in a row here. That person on the other side is not your competitor. That's your, that is your partner. And as long as you're hitting the ball two inches from the baseline or trying to hit the ball there, you're never going to get to 100. And they just don't get it. And it's part of from the moment they walk on the court, hit it big, hit it harder, hit it harder. No, you, you, there's there's a way to play this game. And I, unfortunately, we've given it up. And I think, like you said, it it, it cost us players. It, it cost us players. It cost us. Would pickleball exist if tennis did their job? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. You know, would, would Padel exist if tennis did their job? Now, Padel is pretty young. It's pretty off the wall. It's pretty cool. So it's a little bit different player. But all these ancillary things that have popped up, as I say about Alta, if Alta did their job and listened to people about flexibility, would T2 exist? Probably not. So like, I, I, I'm with Sean. I, I think this is a, a two, three lifetime parter. Uh, you, you share a lot of our values, a lot of our thoughts. I, again, I think we, we came up with something, an interesting way to approach it. Just out of the karma factor, you live in Vero. I have family and fr friends in Melbourne and Jupiter. Uh, my buddy is the head tennis coach at Princeton and I went to school at TCU and you mentioned Dallas. So I know all those clubs as well. So I was like, Oh, wow. And I, Oh, oh by the way, I was born in New York. So <laughs> yeah. I, I just talked to the Princeton coach a couple months ago, Billy Pate. Great guy. Billy you Pate, yeah. Talk to yeah, Billy. I, I was trying to find staffing. <laughs> I was trying to find a staff member. For Good what will Billy tell you is that they're all going to be on wall street. Forget about his team. Now you might want to see if they have a club team. I'm with you. But absolutely, and, and I was going to ask no, you real quick. We, I know we, we got a go. couple of players from, but go ahead. Good. Go ahead. No, have you spoken to the the lady who's running the new program at University of Florida, the the master's program? No, I have not. I need. And she's she's a pretty good lady, and I, I thought that might be an internship. You know that be, if you could do it where they get on the right, where that's required to right. go work with you during the summer. Yep. And you know, and, and plus you're a great experience for as part you. of that master's program, like Bobby yeah. Sanders program the, the and PTM programs to say, Hey, the PTM programs I've hit up on the PTM older programs. Man. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Yep. This one is actually getting an older kid too. So yeah. a little less scary for you, whether That's a 19 true. year old is going to go out the night before, you know, these guys could be 22 to 25. So, you know, going back, realizing corporate America didn't work. And she, she I, I hooked her up. We'll, we'll exchange some names. We'll, That'd be we'll, great. we'll go back and do this. Said, and uh, we de definitely want you to come through here in Atlanta and let, let's break some bread. I'll break some bread. I'll stop in on the way up. I'm going to have a car full. I'll just uh, live out of my car for like uh, a week as I head up. So that'd be fun. I'll meet Very you good. Like That's good. Fantastic. Thank well, you. I appreciate for your time. the time. Oh. I will, uh, we'll make sure we're in touch and definitely doing it again. Like, Bobby said it's a it's a multiple parter. We the fun thing about these conversations is we mention things and we're all taking notes and writing things down. Go, oh, we got to do that. Or for me, it's like the article. All right, here's here's your homework. I want your quote about 
cohesion and no cheating in the juniors. And we'll, we'll put that all together. And we start creating that cohesion. We start creating that, that friendship uh, and getting everybody together and saying, hey, this isn't a zero-sum game. Let's do what's best for the, for the industry, for everybody, getting hopefully some Americans in the top ten at some point. And maybe one of them will come out of Tennis for Children. Maybe one of them will come out of one of Ed's clubs the kid that plays every day for eight weeks straight and that's all he plays. And all of a sudden we realize it's the next great player. Maybe, maybe your daughter is it, right, Ed? Hey, we've got women in the top 10. We just need some men in the top 10. Exactly. Yes. You're right. Exactly. Well, we will follow up. Ed, I appreciate your time. Bobby, as always. Well, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. It's been a real true pleasure to meet you guys. And, uh, we're, you know, I'm looking forward to working together. Thank you. Well, there you have it. We want to thank Rejuvenate for the use of the studio. Be sure to check out the Rejuvenate Wellness is a Journey podcast at rejuvenate.com forward slash listen. Check out our other episodes at atlantatennispodcast.com. Also, find us at Atlanta Tennis Podcast on social media. Let us know what you think about our conversations, but also click that follow button. Whether you listen to every episode or just want to listen periodically, you can follow in your podcast app, which helps us keep the show going. With that, we're out. See you next time.